So good morning, everyone. We're continuing in our series on Naturally Supernatural today, and we're now looking at the barriers or the boulders that can hinder the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives and stop us from living naturally supernatural lives. Now, last week, John covered the topic of disappointment, and today we're focusing on the barrier of unbelief. So let's begin with a reading from Mark's Gospel. We're reading from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So let's pray. Father, as we continue today to look at the boulders that can get in the way of us living naturally supernatural lives, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would highlight any barriers of unbelief and cynicism in our hearts that we might need to bring before you and help us to have a renewed belief and faith in you today. Amen. So on January the 6th, 2021, Donald Trump spoke to a crowd that had gathered in front of the White House. And here's some of what he said. This year, they rigged an election like they've never rigged an election before. So we're going to walk down to the Capitol and we're going to try and give our Republicans, the weak ones, the kind of pride and boldness that they need to take back our country. So let's walk down Pennsylvania Avenue to the Capitol. And of course, we know how the events unfolded. The United States Capitol was stormed as the mob attempted to disrupt the joint session of Congress that was assembled to count the electoral votes that would formalise Joe Biden's victory. More than 140 people were injured. Five people died either shortly before, during or after the event. And over 400 people have been investigated by the FBI and charged with federal crimes. All of Trump's claims were proved in court to be lies with no evidence of a rigged election. But thousands of people were driven by a belief in a lie. They were misguided and deceived, but convinced that they were right. And I use this example to illustrate the power of belief. The battleground for the human soul is and always will be what we believe in our hearts to be true. You see, we all believe in something. Many believe in a greater spiritual force. Some believe that the natural world is the only realm with no spiritual realm. Even atheists believe that there is no God. Our belief is at the very heart of who we are. And the Bible is clear that what we believe in and don't believe in influences and drives our attitudes, our actions, and ultimately our eternal destiny. And what we believe and don't believe doesn't just impact our eternal destiny, it also has a huge impact on how we live our lives here on earth. As we've been going through this series, we've heard many examples of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in the natural lives of people. 
We've heard of the gift of words of knowledge and prophecy, healing, and of people responding to the gospel and putting their faith in Jesus. Lives impacted and transformed by God. So here's the question. When you hear of these stories of the work of the Holy Spirit, what's your immediate response? Do you believe that God does speak to people and heal people today, or is it a bit far-fetched? In his book, Sustainable Power, Simon Holly lists some of the typical heart responses of unbelief, and they include, when I hear of others' experience of God's presence or power, my default response is cynical, and I often try to analyse, minimise or disprove their claim. Others call me critical or cynical, but I feel that they are naive and I am discerning. I doubt that God speaks to others as they claim because he doesn't speak to me in that way. Now, Simon goes on to say, ouch, as we began the naturally supernatural journey at our church, the sad reality was that I knew that my heart was full of unbelief and cynicism. Now, thankfully, he then goes on to write that God is gracious and he works even in the middle of the swamp of our unbelief. You see, unbelief can have a really negative impact on our lives. Jesus couldn't perform many miracles in his hometown because of their unbelief. Unbelief impacted the sick in Jesus's hometown. And in the book of Acts, Luke writes that the Jews who refused to believe, they stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. They were broken off because of their unbelief. Unbelief then can be a poison that that hardens hearts and can even cause people to fall away from faith. And as the writer in Hebrews pleads in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12, see to it brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, we don't want to be hard-hearted. We want our hearts to be like soil that cultivates seeds of faith rather than like concrete where no roots can take hold. So how is your heart today? Is it hardened by cynicism and unbelief? Or is your heart like soft ground where faith and hope and expectation can really flourish? Now, unbelief is not a new modern day phenomena caused by our advancements in science and technology. It was an early on a Sunday morning and a group of grieving women visited the tomb to embalm Jesus's corpse with spices. They found the tomb empty and saw two angels who asked them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. When they came back from the tomb, They told all these things to the eleven and to the others, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. So here we have the eleven disciples who had spent the last three years of their lives with Jesus. They'd watched whole towns bring their sick to Jesus and be healed. Jesus had repeatedly told them that he would suffer, die and be raised to life three days later. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. They were cynical. 
And just as Jesus promised and predicted to his disciples his death and his resurrection, Jesus made a promise and prediction to us in John chapter 14, verse 12. He said these words, Truly, truly, I tell you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And he will do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. So Jesus promises here that believers will do the works that he does and even greater works. He promises that we will live naturally supernatural lives. And of course, Jesus's works on earth were healing and prophecy, words of knowledge, acts of kindness and compassion, speaking the truth of the kingdom of God, setting captives free and crushing the works of the devil. Jesus promised that we would also do these works. But in reality, how often do we not believe because it seems to us like nonsense? I think if we're honest, we identify really with that man who we read about in Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 9. He brought his sick son to Jesus and he cried out to Jesus, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. See, we believe in Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary. We believe Jesus is the Son of God. We believe he died for our sins and rose again. We believe in his miracles. We believe that he pours out his Holy Spirit on the church and that he's building his church. Lord, we believe, but help us overcome our unbelief. That you can work through us to heal people today in High Wycombe. That you can give a person a picture or a word of knowledge that speaks directly into another person's situation, bringing freedom and encouragement. That you can have mercy on and save even the hardest hearted person that we're praying for. Lord, we believe, but help us overcome our unbelief. So I want to share just a couple of personal examples of the supernatural work of God in and through others that I've experienced. We read in the Gospels a number of accounts where Jesus had prophetic insights and words of knowledge. At the start of his ministry, Jesus calls his 12 disciples to follow him. And as Nathanael walks towards Jesus, Jesus said, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? replied Nathanael. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus had a supernatural prophetic vision. And it was the same with the woman at the well. You have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. And when Jesus told his disciples to go ahead and prepare the upper room, you'll see a man carrying a water jar, follow him. And it was as he said, a prophetic word of knowledge. So here's an example of how, how God has spoken to me through a word of knowledge given by someone else. So I was adopted as a, as a baby at six months old. And growing up, my adoptive parents told me that I was born in Salisbury in Wiltshire, that my birth father was a soldier, uh, actually originally from Jamaica, and serving at the military barracks in Salisbury, and that my birth mother was from England. And, and that's what they knew from social services records. Now, I know that not every adopted person wants to find their birth parents, but I did want to. And in my late teens, I attempted to trace them, but with no success. 
the door was closed and, and it didn't look like it would ever open with such limited information to go on. And I was disappointed by that. Now, one Sunday morning, Ron Lamb, who was at the time, I think, leading the meeting, shared a prophetic word. And he said, God is going to supernaturally open doors for people that have been closed and bring blessing through that. And as he shared that word, I had a really strong sense that God was encouraging me through that word about finding my birth parents as I'd been praying about it only just recently. But to be honest, with little hope. So was Ron's prophetic word and this impression I had wishful thinking or the work of the Holy Spirit? I wrote to the UK Army Records Office and a few weeks later, I received a call from them and was told that unfortunately there was no record in the archives at all and that my birth father must have died. The door was closed again and I was again disappointed. About a month later, I received another call from the Army Records Office saying that they had found a former soldier with the name of my birth father from the Caribbean who was still drawing an army pension. And I will never forget the moment when the phone rang and it said international on the caller ID. And within a few months, I met my birth father. I discovered that he was actually from Guyana, which is between Venezuela and Brazil, and that my great uncle was a former minister of finance of Guyana with his signature on all of the banknotes. I also found my birth mother and met her and my half-siblings. And my adoptive parents, who were very supportive, visited my birth mother and they had a really good time together. In fact, after the King's Church 50th celebration, I received a WhatsApp message from my birth mother saying how good it was to see Ellie and Dan leading worship. And she wrote, I feel that our father was with me throughout while watching Ellie and Dan. God bless them and God bless you all. God did open a door and blessing flowed from it. So Ron shared a word of knowledge and prophecy of what God was about to do, and God did the rest. Truly, I tell you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And I'm really looking forward to the outworking of the prophetic word that Ron brought about this church being like a butterfly emerging from a cocoon after this time of restriction. And indeed, all of the other prophetic words of encouragement that people have faithfully shared over the months and years. Now, the cynic may say, well, that's all down to coincidence or imagination. And yes, coincidences do happen. But as former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, once said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. Now, another example of the works that Jesus did that we've been looking at during this series is in the area of healing. Now, this is a, an area, a topic where our faith can really be tested, especially when we believe for healing, but it just doesn't happen. And John covered this so well last week, uh, the topic of disappointment. And healing is one of the areas in which disappointment and unbelief can be like two partners in crime, spurring each other on. If we don't see healing, we're disappointed. We don't want our hopes dashed again, so we stop believing. Unbelief can almost become a self-preservation strategy. But the reality and mystery is that no matter how hard we pray, 
who prays and how many people pray, God does not always answer our prayers in the way that we want. And it's not a lack of faith to state that God does not always heal when we pray for people. It's simply a fact as evidenced in the Bible. Paul, the mighty apostle, converted on the Damascus road, filled with the Holy Spirit, called to preach and lead the planting of the early church, speaks of a thorn in his flesh, something that was causing him hurt and frustration. It may have been a sickness. It may have been a person persecuting him. We just don't know. But it is a real issue for him. And in 2 Corinthians 12, we read, I asked the Lord three times about this, that it would depart from me. But he said to me, my grace is enough for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Did God hear Paul's prayer? Yes. Did God answer Paul? Yes. Did God answer Paul in the way that Paul wanted? No. And it wasn't Paul's unbelief that caused God not to remove that thorn in his flesh, whatever it was. It was God's will. And that's a mystery that we will never understand. We just have to trust. And I think the challenge can arise because of the difference between the word will and the word can. You see, I I firmly believe that God can heal, that God can intervene supernaturally in our lives, that, that nothing is impossible with God. But as we read the scriptures, the example of Paul and the thorn in his flesh, the the psalmist crying out to God, but apparently not seeing the breakthrough he expects. It's clear that we don't know that God will answer in the way that we want him to. And unbelief can come into our hearts when we believe that God will intervene in a certain way and he doesn't. So we believe in God's power while also acknowledging that we don't understand his will. Now, the issue, of course, with the people in Jesus' hometown is that they didn't believe in who Jesus was at all. They didn't believe that he even could heal. In an interview before last week's FA Cup final, Leicester City's manager, Brendan Rodgers, said, we embrace the expectation of having a chance to win. We embrace the expectation of having a chance to win. You know, when we pray for the sick, we embrace the expectation that God can heal. That's faith. When we share a word of prophecy, we embrace the expectation that God can speak to someone. We embrace the expectation that God hears us and will answer our prayers. On the 5th of November, 2019, I saw a Facebook post from a close friend of ours, David. David's in his late 40s, an ordained Baptist minister. And Ellie and I have known David and his wife, Sam, for many years now. They're good friends. And the post was written by his wife on David's Facebook account. And it read, David had a devastating stroke last Saturday. He is currently in a neuroscience intensive care unit on a life support machine. He is in a critical but stable condition. Please join us in praying for David and his recovery. David had actually suffered a brain stem stroke, which resulted in him being diagnosed with locked-in syndrome. He was able to communicate through slight nodding of his head, blinking and an alphabet board. Surgery to remove a blood clot was unsuccessful 
and the prognosis for any form of recovery was poor. Now, many people rallied around to pray for David's healing and for his wife and two children. And after many further calls for prayer from his wife during 2020, including an update that he had contracted COVID-19, on May the 5th this year, 18 months after the stroke, David wrote his own post with a photo of the ICU unit that he was first admitted to. And his post read, went here yesterday where I was in ICU for 11 days and you all prayed for or thought of me. The consultant said my scans of brain damage didn't match up with my recovery. I never tire of hearing that. And after much prayer, David showed gradual signs of movement and sensation. He can now stand, talk and walk with the support from a frame. He's made a remarkable recovery against all the predictions of the doctors and he's now writing a book about his journey. Now, the cynic would say, well, it was David's determination that got him through. But many people prayed for David and the consultant said that his scans of brain damage didn't match up with his recovery. And I know that David and his wife firmly believe that God did miraculously heal him. And we also believe for his continued healing. And why did we believe? Truly, truly, I tell you, he who believes in me, the words that I do, he will do also. And he will do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. The prayer of a righteous man and woman are powerful and effective. So this is all very well, but what can we do if we are really struggling with unbelief? Well, here are three very quick practical steps we can take. Step one, as with all the boulders that we'll be looking at in this series, it's important that we acknowledge that they are there. A person that doesn't acknowledge that they are unwell won't go to the doctor. And so too, if we don't acknowledge that we have unbelief, we won't ask God for help. Be honest with yourself. And with God, tell him about your unbelief. He knows you. So bring your unbelief before him. Ask for his forgiveness of cynicism. Let's not let pride get in the way of his blessing. So step one, acknowledge your unbelief before God. Next, we need to ask God for help. The disciples did not believe because it seemed to them like nonsense. Yet despite them continuing in their unbelief, Jesus shows mercy. He helped them overcome their unbelief. And in many of the accounts of Jesus's appearance after his resurrection, he ate food with them to demonstrate that he was physically resurrected and not a ghost. And of course, when Thomas doubted and demanded proof, instead of rebuking him, Jesus allowed Thomas to touch his wounds, to touch him physically. Jesus helped Thomas overcome his unbelief. So let's ask God for help. And the third step to help us to overcome unbelief is that we have to spend time with other believers. Do not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Get into the habit of meeting with other believers. It's so important to encourage each other in our belief in Jesus. And it's even more possible now as lockdown is easing. I think it's fair to say, and it's understandable, we've got into the habit of not meeting together. But let's get back into the habit of meeting together. 
You know, we often hear the analogy of hot coals in a fire hearth. And it's so true that when it comes to belief, your belief can encourage another's belief when perhaps they're struggling and vice versa. I always feel so uplifted and encouraged after spending time with other believers, be it after a Sunday live meeting or a small group meeting online or just drinks outside with friends around a fire. We may have different views and beliefs and opinions on matters of this world, but we share the same belief in Jesus and that brings great encouragement and great unity. So spend time with others who believe. And just to finish, it's worth acknowledging that the church has a part to play in helping remove the boulder of unbelief too. Simon Holly talks about the many practical steps that they take as a church to help create a culture of people who are stepping into freedom from unbelief. They include exaggerate nothing, celebrate everything, allow time to percolate, sometimes giving three or four weeks before announcing a healing just to ensure it's verified. Hear with the ears of faith, but guard against false or exaggerated claims. You know, it's, it's really okay to question and verify healings, prophecies and words of knowledge, not from a place of cynicism, but from a place of wisdom and discernment. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. And of course, that's not to say that we should be overcautious, but wisdom and discernment is important. And just as it's great to celebrate healing, it's not shameful to not be healed after you've been prayed for. So we need to guard against anything that might or could fuel cynicism. We began with the account today of a town who refused to believe in Jesus and an example of how a belief in a lie about a rigged election led to so much damage. So I want to end with a moving story of belief in the Bible. In Luke 23, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. As Jesus in agony takes on the sins of the world, he reaches out in mercy and love to the criminal being crucified near him. Here is a man who can do nothing for God. He will never do any good works for the kingdom of God. He's moments from death, yet he is saved from hell and receives eternal life. Why? Because he believes and acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. As Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So as we respond now in worship, Let's acknowledge before God if we have struggled with unbelief and cynicism. Let's bring it before God in prayer and repentance and find grace and mercy in our time of need. And let's make this our prayer today. Lord, we believe. Help us overcome our unbelief. Amen.